Welcome to She Critiques, where we discuss the new, the old, all things cinema. I'm Mercedes, television producer, certified reviewer, and all-around movie buff. So without further ado, let's get into this week's episode. It feels good to be back. Welcome back, everyone, to another season of the She Critiques podcast. This is the official first episode of season two, and I couldn't be more elated to share um, all that I've been thinking of film-wise, what we have coming up with everyone. First and foremost, um, if you do not know about the Black Flicks trivia game, that is the first product under the She Critiques platform. And it is a trivia game dedicated to all the Black films that we know and love, Black film and television shows that I've created myself. You can buy your deck of the Black Flicks trivia game at blackflixtrivia.com. That's blackflixtrivia.com. Dot com. Go get your deck right now. Pre-order is available now and you will get your deck uh, shipped out to you February 19th. Um, I'm so excited about that. It's going to be really fun. Look out for that. And for today, we will be discussing Judas and the Black Messiah. Um, this is the new Shaka King film produced by Charles D. King and Ryan Coogler the story of uh, Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party in Chicago. And I saw a screening of this film and I'm absolutely blown away at the cinematography, at the story, the acting all around one of the greatest films I've seen in the last few years. You have to check it out. Joining us today on the podcast is Miss Erica Street of Pistachio's Film Reviews. Um, I love Erica's brain. I love the way it works. I love how it dissects film. I had to get her on the podcast. Do not be surprised if you hear Miss Erica Street on on more episodes of the She Critiques podcast. I think I found my film review, film critic soulmate in Erica. So without further ado, this is the first episode of season two of the She Critiques podcast. Myself and Erica Street discussing Judas and the Black Messiah and happy Black History Month. Okay. There you there are. It is. There it is. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. Yes, girl. Yes, yeah. You better. So I had an afro. I had an afro not like two hours ago. And okay. at that moment, I was like, shoot, that would have been perfect. Cause I got a black gray. Listen, I've been running around doing errands all day with a side pony. And I said, you know what? Cause we today. We here with it, okay? We are so oh, here today. Yeah, like, I listen. We here listen. with it. So, <laughs> we are so we gonna talk about this because, okay. First of all, let me introduce the people to who you are. Okay. So, Pistachio, well, I met Pistachio on a, a Africa roundtable discussion, and it might mean one question, but you are one of those critics. Just from that one question, one roundtable, I know that you're one who likes to dissect and comb through some story and find out some layers, whether it's about the writers or what the film is about. So that's what I appreciated. It wasn't just a foo-foo question. Um, you know, you really threw something out there for the writers to to talk about. So I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, 
see you. I see you. Okay. Right. But um, so no, I wanted to have you on. This is Pistachio from Pistachio's Film Reviews. Everybody, welcome to the She Critiques Podcast. We're, Thank I'm you so much for having me. Absolutely. So today, because this is the first episode of my second season. Congratulations. Yes, thank you so much. Um, And this will be for Black History Month, the first episode in February. And I said, we have to talk about these amazing Black films that are coming out, but specifically Judas and the Black Messiah, because I just saw it. We were supposed to talk about Forrest Gump, everybody. We were supposed to talk about Forrest Gump, have a good time, talk about some feathers and stuff. Curious, George. I, I probably at this point don't even need to watch it anymore to like really get into some themes and talk about characters and talk about how Tom Hanks is probably one of the best actors ever. But ever. So so when you said like yo let's flip it, I was like appropriate, totally. Um, so I was I was ready either way. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate it. So, okay, let's dig into Judas and the Black Messiah. Can you give the people just like a quick synopsis of what the film is about? Sure. So it's um, directed by Shaka King. It's inspired by true events. Um, and it's essentially about a man. His name is William O'Neill. He was a petty criminal. Um, he gets caught by the police uh, for impersonating a, a law enforcement official um, trying to steal someone's car. Um, he's looking at maybe like five to six years, depending on those crimes. But that police officer who, that agent, um, who nabs him, his name is, um, Mitchell, agent Mitchell. He offers Bill O'Neill an opportunity to infiltrate, uh, the Black Panther Party Chicago chapter, which is led by, um, Fred Hampton. So he actually does, and he is successful at doing this. Um, and it, all, the, all of this is a part of uh, J. Edgar Hoover's administration, his FBI's co-intelpro that was a, t- a counterintelligence investigation into what they perceived the Black Panther Party to be a domestic terror organization. Um, Bill's actions led to the assassination of Mark Clark and Fred Hampton, um, and Fred Hampton was 21 years old when he passed away. Um, incredible um, narrative. I, I, I remember, and I, I know we have a schedule, but I remember like just shutting my eyes for a minute and trying to remember how I remembered Fred Hampton talking. Mm. Um, and I did the same thing, not to tangent, but I did the same thing with Eli Gore in um, One Night in Miami. Okay. I wanted to feel like I was really watching him and I, it felt genuine to me, but that's a, that's a brief synopsis. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, so many layers, so many layers, so many of the things that I want to talk about with this film. Right. So yeah. let's introduce the cast first. We have Lakeith Stanfield, uh, Daniel Kaluuya. We have Dominique Fishback, Jesse Clemens. Those are our main characters. Oh, and I can't forget Ashton Sanders. Yes. And Algie Smith. Algie Smith. Yes. Yes. And you know what I appreciate about that? That they grabbed this young cast of Black actors, Black men. Black for men. Time, all we know is Jamie Denzel. Dare I? I mean, that's about the list. That's about the Will? list. Will? Oh, I'm sorry, Will, yes. Mm-hmm. But, but you're, it is over 
so I'm 30. Over my 30, it's been consistent. Like Will was a summer blockbuster guy. Jamie was the triple threat doing yes. the this and the that and the comedy and whatever. Denzel was like, I'm gonna get you during holiday season. It's a, it's a movie that's gonna come out that's gonna blow you away. And he's been consistent with that. But you're, you're absolutely right. It, it, this film did a really good job with bringing in some fresh, even though some of those, those actors had been in some really acclaimed yeah, things. They're still at the budding stages of their acting careers. Right. So right. I appreciate just seeing these young, and they weren't the known, it wasn't, they didn't grab a couple of no names and say, okay, we're just going to throw them in here because they don't really matter. They grabbed some people who had some credits, you know, and have a little bit of a buzz and knowing that this film could potentially take them to a new level. I appreciate that. And they did amazing all, listen, all four of them, these brothers really held it down. Um, I'm in love with Ashton Sanders. He's amazing. Love him. Um, Algie, I was skeptical about Algie at first. I was like, oh, they threw Algie up in here? Why? I, maybe because I'm thinking of New Edition, Kid Bopper, like, how is this going to play into him being a hardcore Black Panther? I'm not sure. And he did that. Like, he really did it, though. Because I was saying, this is not Algie playing Ralph Tresvant. This is not Algie in Euphoria. Like, he's like, I was in Detroit, Catherine yes. Bigelow. Yes. You know, I'm going to be in this. And and it really, seeing them, you got you, you brought up a really good point. The, even the smaller characters, their roles were actually essential to the narrative of the, of the story, yes. like, of the film. So, like, understanding, like, how Ashton Sanders', char Sanders character comes to be and how that affects everybody in the group, right? Yes. I'll right. Just, like, a lot of that which I, I attest to the writing, I guess, too. But the casting director gets pats on the shoulder for me because it was just, like, seamless. Even Jermaine, uh, Jermaine Fowler, he's in it. Like, even, like, in different acts, they start bringing in and taking out some people. And I'm like, this is really well, well done. Yeah. Yeah, it's very well written. Um, I mean, I can't give enough of the flowers to Mr. Daniel Kaluuya and Lakeith Stanfield. Let me tell you, Cause Lakeith is a, you know, he got that weirdo vibe to him, but you know, I love that he can dibble dabble in so many different lanes. You love know, it. love it, love it. And he's, he's showing early how much of a chameleon he's in. He can be, mm. he can go from, from Boots Riley, uh, sorry to bother you, like a, you know, kind of Afrofuturism-ish quirk. Yes. To the, to, the, to the dude you know, one of your cousins in Atlanta, you know him. Right, right. Like you, like he over here, he rides skateboards, but he also know like, like 90s hip hop, like the back of his hand, but he also like plays the violin or something. Like when you can't really piece him. Yes. And I love that. Cause he's not, he's not going to allow Hollywood to put him in that box. Love it. I, all for it, all for it. So yes, this cast, I mean, the actors, all of them phenomenal. The actors, Dominique, let's not forget about our sister Dominique. Cause let me, you know what I, ooh, you know what I appreciated about this film was seeing those beautiful black features with them afros. They, and they didn't, they didn't beat us up with a whole bunch of makeup. No, they let, they said, we gonna let you lay in that bed with your Afro popping, lips on swole, like, what's up? I, I put in my review, I have been waiting for Dominique Fishback, because the first time I saw her was in The Deuce. Mm. I was like, 
I loved it. Ooh, girl. And so I have a little artist to watch list and she has always been on it. So then when she was in Project Power last summer with Jamie, I was like, I okay, like she's dipping into, cause that role could have been for a male. She's mm. dipping into these roles that are like versatile that can show like range. Like I'm getting, I'm getting that from her. What I loved about this performance though, it was subdued. It was very personal and mm -hmm. intimate. It brought the other side of Fred Hampton out. It wasn't the, the I'm standing in front of the stage, Black Panther uh, Party chairman for Chicago chapter. Like you could get a real sense of the intimacy that both of them shared. And I think also that Deborah Johnson, who's still living, actually talked to Dominique um, about her portrayal of the role and what mm -hmm. actually is she trying to get into. And I think, um, I think I read something that said Daniel Kaluuya talked to like her as well and to Fred Hampton Jr. about like their purpose. Like what are, what are you trying to get out of doing this portrayal? Um, what type of authenticity are you planning to bring? Like what, and I can understand someone who's still living being skeptical about a story that is so traumatic, right. um, that brutalized their family, that that scar tissue is still fresh and having someone to, you have to trust that somebody's the, writer, the writers, the the person that's going to portray you to really get it in a way that feels authentic. And I would I would love to actually know what Fred Hampton Jr. and Miss Deborah Johnson think, think about it. like think about the film um, because blown away from me. Absolutely. She was I, you know what, all around, definitely a, a five star film for me. But we're yeah. going to comb through this because it's. Um, what strikes me, A, is the title, Judas and the Black Messiah. Fitting. Huh? Very fitting. I mean, yes. Uh, but it made me go through my mental Rolodex of all the uh, betrayals of, like, best friends situation scenarios that we've seen on film. Like, it gave me the, I thought of uh, Julius the Caesar, the, 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 you know, the play of Brutus and mm -hmm. have Fredo and mm -hmm. have I, I mean the list goes on I'm thinking of what was the old boy's name and paid in full uh, that Cameron played uh, uh, was it Rico well it wasn't Rico oh, no. No, oh, oh my black card is being revoked as we, oh, oh, no. I can't remember but I know what you're talking about yeah but all these men um you know a lot of times they say men their downfall is a woman but from a lot of these films, it be your homeboy. So, we're going to have to switch up that narrative. It seems like <laughs> from the art, it, it's looking like that ain't quite accurate, right? <laughs> that don't seem like it's accurate anymore. But so, yes, Judas and the Black Messiah, this man, you know, who infiltrated as a Black Panther for years, um and rebuilding the, the the headquarters and you know being on the ground and doing his due diligence i don't want to give the should we give it away I, don't, eh, eh. I mean it's a true story so people should know the story but to see him at the very end in that interview and it was weighing on him it was weighing on him that he had turned you know that he participated in the assassination of fred hampton so i mean 
from your perspective, um, just the stories that we know of the best friends who have betrayed or been in those situations, they've turned somebody in or they rat or they snitch. What are your own personal thoughts? I thought, so there's a lot of stuff about this particular narrative that is similar to a lot of buddy-buddy relationships gone bad that we've seen Shakespeare and then on and on and on to Godfather and, and paid in full, like you said. And that, so that type of story theme is not new. Right. The difference is that my, inter my interpretation of it is that Bill O'Neill thought that he was getting time reduced mm. to help the FBI, which even at this time, this is post MLK assassination. This is post Mart uh, Malcolm assassination. This is fresh for them. Like they even talk about that in the film, right? So there's a social party that is being uh, surveyed by the FBI. When, when Jesse Plemons' character, the agent asked Bill O'Neill, uh, Lakeith, how he felt about MLK's death, in my mind, I was like, I see what exactly he's trying to do. He's trying to get into the psyche of this person to see if he can manipulate him to, to do things down the line. So when Clemens found out like that J. Edgar Hoover had already had an informant in the party, that guy um, that said that, you know, he put- Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah, shout out to him, Terrell. He's from Atlanta. I've seen okay. him. He's, I see him all the time, so he's doing big things, but oh, yes, yes. So, so when Agent Mitchell found out he had gotten got by J. Edgar Hoover, thinking that he was all in that power structure himself and understanding there was levels to it, I'm thinking to myself, okay, Bill probably thought, I'm trying to get out. I'm not trying to spend six years in prison. Mm -hmm. I'm going to try to get some money. I'm going to get this, you know, get this going. And he... Even after he went to Fred Hampton after he got out of prison and said like, he was like conspiring to blow up City Hall or something. And Fred was like, what are you doing? Like, no, that's not what it is. Right. He's being a wire. He had already told Mitchell like, this party is not, like the Black Panther Party is not about terrorists, like terrorism. They're, tr they're about organization. Feeding, yes. yes. Like even in prison, Fred Hampton was trying to get, trying to recruit people to come together. Like the people. Like outside of prison, you saw him go to Confederate flag laced places to get poor whites. You go to a funeral of the Puerto Ricans in, in, in Chicago, get them to, to get into this movement about police brutality. That, that is my interpretation. Mm -hmm. And so when, around the third act or so, when Bill is still trying to, Find, like figure it out for himself like what am I doing yeah or why am I doing this but he continues to feed the government information I'm thinking to myself oh no he he full on like he there's no redemption for him mm. like how far go after he sat in front of Mitchell in that restaurant and said what y'all are trying to assassinate him or something mm -hmm. and Mitchell didn't like flinch Mm-hmm. And, and he still gave the information. I think in that point, I was just like, He's look, gone. look. And so when at the end of the film, where they actually showed the, the documentary clip of, of his, you know, his only documentary um, or his own 
uh, recollection of what happened, mm-hmm. I was thinking to myself, okay, from 1969 to, two, to 1992, yeah, you was in witness protection, but what was going through your mind over those 20 something years where you're just like, not guilt or I don't know. Like, you know, what? I love that you said like, there's just no, it's almost like he got to a place of just no redemption and he knew that, but that was a pivotal moment because up until that point, you know, he could have walked away and said, you know what? I'm just not doing this anymore. Up until like before this man was assassinated. But what I love about that scene was so eerie to me is that it felt like a deal with the devil. Yeah. It felt like, it felt like you're making a deal with the devil. Like, do you realize, you know, that you're sitting across from this white man who wants to kill, shoot, he would kill you if he had the opportunity. You know what I mean? Like it was that, it took me to Passion of the Christ. And when, I don't know what that little thing was that portrayed the devil, but gave, uh, you know, a bag of silver or what it, whatever it was to Judas. It was like, ooh, like this is a deal with the devil. And I love that they, it's, it, I don't know if they, of course they consciously shot it somewhat to, to resemble something like that, but it was just like the sliding of the money and that it, like you're making right. a deal with the devil, you know? But also, I mean, not to get too spiritual, but when you make a deal with the devil, the karma that comes back around, that inner turmoil which is what we saw him going through. Did you have anxiety? So you knew about, you had knowledge about uh, Fred Hampton prior to seeing this film, right? Like you understood and knew, did you know about like the Black Panther Party? Oh, I know, I mean, I know of, I don't know. I can honestly say I have not done the research that I should have or that that I should be doing. I know of, I know, you know, the pivotal moments right um i I know some things i don't know everything so what were you going to say though because i i started the film and throughout the film like i felt like no scene was wasted Mm. there are there are scenes that i just took mental snapshots of because i just thought they were beautiful like cinema like cinematography beautiful but um I was anxious the entire film because I knew what was going to happen. Mm. I just didn't know how they were going to get there. Because it's inspired by true stories. This isn't an observational documentary, even though they did give a good chunk in the beginning to get people aware of what the Black Panther Party was striving to do, that documentary footage before we got Lakeith dressed as Bill O'Neill, which we then see the real person at the end of the movie. But... um, I just thought that this was a, a nerve-wracking, a good nerve-wracking experience because I sat on the edge of my seat. I felt like when the shootout happened, when all of these things happened, and they were shot so beautifully, oh. that like, what else are y'all going to do to me? Like, please, I'm trying not to cry, tear up. Because in my mind, I wasn't watching Daniel Kaluuya. In my mind, I wasn't watching Dominique Fishback or uh, Lakeith Stanfield. I thought in a, in moments that I was watching the real thing. Right, right, right. And I'm, I was so happy to see at the end, even though it was traumatic, how they ended the story. Like, hmm. It wasn't, it wasn't torturous 
um, like black trauma, like black, tra- uh, what they call it, like video trauma, black porn trauma. Something. Because we have had this, at the end of this film, I started thinking about Trayvon. I started thinking about Eric Garner. I started thinking about Michael Brown. I started thinking about uh, Philando Castile. I started thinking about George Floyd. I started thinking about a whole Sandra Bland. I just thought about all of the people since I, I left college. Mm-hmm. College, senior year in college for me was Trayvon. And, and understanding how this movement has continue to change over time. So yeah, we had BPP, we had all of these other movements, religious movements too. Um, how then Rodney King, I was very young when that happened. And then to today, how timely this film is based on the social environment that we're in. Yes, yes. But in that, I was saying to myself, I really wonder what Huey Newton would think about how America has not changed so much since then. I wonder, 21-year-old Fred Hampton, had he lived today, I wonder how he would have felt Mm. seeing how far we've gotten since then. We are still collectively having to tell people about police brutality, and they still don't get it. But... Also, we can watch on live TV people try to overthrow the government with no repercussions, or if they do get justice, it's going to be a very long... The justice that we get is an immediate shot to the head. The justice that they get is maybe paying someone off later. And so this film made me angry. Yeah. Because, first of all, something about the film feels very divine, very divine timing because they couldn't have predicted when they shot this film, the time that we would be in right now. Right. And I'm seeing a lot of that though. Like things have just orchestrated so serendipitous, you know? Yep. And I've been having so many of these conversations. So, I mean, this moment I think is divine as well because I literally, I mean, I, I work as a freelance producer um in Atlanta mm-hmm. and I just came from doing a show in New York and I can't they had a conversation about race you know this was the week of the U.S. Capitol storming the week of and they the people on the show had a conversation about racism in America and these people have known each other for 30 years and their views have not changed for not for the better and um the same day I went home and I weeped. Like, this is the first time I've, like, I've, I know the George Floyds, I know Trayvon Martins, like, I know all of these people. These are my cousins, my uncles, everybody, you know, Breonna Taylor. And, but this was the first time I felt like the connection of, like, A, the exhaustion of people of color of like of this movement like the exhaustion like our th- that was not a glimmer of hope what we saw happen at the capitol just felt like there is no hope and that that weight of like girl i don't know i had to look it up i said is this like ancestral trauma that i'm feeling right now like seriously like i felt the weight of i cried for Brianna taylor i cried for the george floyds like and the Emmett Hills, and I just, I, I felt the weight of the ancestors, like, do you know what we have been through? We're yeah. still mourning 
Emmett Till who died 50 years ago. Like I, when I, I was, I lived in Atlanta for three years. I just moved back up here in 2019. I went to the Smithsonian, um, the African-American history and culture. And I went into the Emmett Till exhibit. And when I left, like I'm hands in, like crying in a corner, not understanding how close that still feels, those images of his face. Mm -hmm. And then for popular media, like um, um, Lovecraft Country, to, inter like, to put that into their story. Even in this film, they talked about Emmett Till, ba they they, somebody babysitting. Yes, they did. And then, and also the, the civil rights workers, so M Mississippi Burning, the civil rights workers who were killed, Mississippi Sheriff kills them, yes. the FBI comes in. Jesse Plemons is playing an agent who also worked in that case. So all of these things are intersect. MLK, Emmett Till, uh, Mar uh, Martin Luther King. Yes. Like all of this stuff is, it is in line, right? And in this moment, in this film, I'm thinking about all of these different tangents of, of history that are still open wounds. Like we are still, those three men dying in Mississippi for voter rights, and then we got people who are trying to disenfranchise Black people in Georgia as we speak. Yeah. Like, a lot of this stuff, it, like you said, ancestral trauma. I love that art is really bringing this out as a conversation starter. Yeah. Because I feel like there's at a point, and I don't know if you feel the same way, where people who don't look like us, won't get or receive the message about how we feel from us. Mm -hmm. They'll consider it. Mm -hmm. But until someone who looks like them tells them that they're wrong, yes. you don't get to have an opinion about my identity. You don't get to tell me you don't like X about me and it'd be a, a, a core thing to my identity here, right? Yes. But it, it, what I do appreciate Shaka doing and the producers doing was taking the time understanding the story mm -hmm. getting it in the like the editing the cinematography getting it right yeah and bringing a, a full project that felt whole is yeah what I yeah and let's talk about also because um one of the things that was brought up in the film like their number one fear these white FBI agents who are, you know, trying to figure out how to take down the Black Panther Party, specifically Fred Hammond. But one of their fears were their white daughters. <laughs> Let's take a breather for that. <laughs> but their fear of their white daughters. So you were saying, you know, your point of, you know, how far have we come or have, have we come far at all from when the movement started? And then I wonder on their side, I mean, did they protect their white daughters from black men? With 30 years later, you know, had, did that work out for y'all? I'm on the line of, I don't care mm. who you love. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't mind anyone having their preferences if they're rooted in prejudice keep it over there mm -hmm. um i am not out here with you know i'm not out here with the viewpoint that you can't love who you want right we, we have come to a point 
where anybody choosing to be like being in love with someone is their business mm -hmm. regardless of their race gender ethnicity sexual orientation whatever just leave black women out of it mm -hmm. if you're going to have your relationship Try your best not to equate it to what you perceive black women ain't going to do for you. Mm -hmm. That's it. Yes. Um, I'm 100%. Uh, I 100% agree with that, with that statement. That it, there's no reason why in saying and vocalizing your preferences, you have to downgrade or, you know, downplay or diminish or disrespect anyone else because i mean i'm not going to name any rappers or you know anybody like that but we see it so often so in this old oh, girl can we talk about what happened in harlem this black woman going into the liquor store to get a bottle of wine yeah yeah, I don't even need to say anymore. If you have not looked up that story, please go check it out. Because when we say in one sentence, protect black women, and then this happens. But then the whole borough showed up. Like, I was shocked at that. I was, I like, was shocked at that. I was like, oh, they're really trying to find them. Because that would have been my point. It would have been, y'all scream protect black women until it's time to. And then there's another video of the whole hood. The whole hood outside the liquor store like, where they at. <laughs> and so, guess what somebody is gonna tell them where they at but that's the type of because we show up for them like that we show up for them like that. so i mean i just that was like that warmed my whole soul so let's tie it to the film did dominique was dominique fishback protected in this film i feel like the women not even just dominique but the the i can't remember the actress's name but the one with the afro that had the gun pointed at uh that had the gun pointed at O'Neal because uh -huh. she suspected from what the crowns, how the crowns were maneuvering around Bill O'Neill when he was with them, that he- Dominique that he, Thorne, I, that's her name. Dominique Thorne, she was Judy in the film. So w at the beginning, when Bill O'Neill was in the training and he was like trying to holler at somebody and Fred Hampton was like, you treat them with respect. Those are your sisters. You don't, you don't, blah, blah, blah. I thought that was a great, um intro into judy because it was like judy can handle her own as we saw in the shootout like yeah the women in this film outside of dominique fishback's character because that relationship was a little bit more intimate it was between her and 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 uh fred but uh, the other extra women it was like they are just as vigilant as the men they're valuable to the organization just you know they can hold their own yes right. they, they've made them equals in the sense of power right maybe not necessarily the way this film is structured for role wise but it's spread story but definitely equal in the sense of power and value right and so i had i was thinking about that i was like women in the movement i think about kathleen cleaver i think about you know like the the ones that media tried to push out there hmm. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, I, it, it was hard because it was very few, few frames of it. Because they, I mean, we kind of focused a lot more on like Bill, because right. it was essentially this is his story, but showing that 
you know, they were sharp. They were on it. They were a part of leadership. They were doing this and doing that. They weren't just secretaries or, yeah. you know, whatever at the offices. That was really worthwhile, I think, to, to, yeah. to portray. Absolutely. I agree. Um, I just want to, is there anything you want to bring up this film before we talk about any takeaways? I, the only thing I wanted to bring up was halfway through, there was a, there was a shot and I, I had to stop it and look up who the cinematographer was. And it's, his name is Sean Bobbitt. Mm. He's the same cinematographer who that man right there. 12 Years a Slave. And I, I have seen 12 Years a Slave one time. I will never need to see it again because I remember so many scenes about it being the most beautiful things I think I've seen on film, which is hard to say mm -hmm. for it to be a slave film right. that held it like so high up there, but it was, the art was good. Yeah. He is the cinematographer for this movie. And I want to talk to him <laughs> because directors of photography are essential, as essential as the director. Yes. And knowing that, they, that there was trust between Sean and Shaka, I just want to understand that relationship because breathtaking scene, that scene with O'Neal in the room and it's like amber red on one side and green on the other. Hmm. And the silhouette of him, he's looking off to the green side. It was perfect symbolism of where his mind was. Like, hmm. you can just see his silhouette. He's, like, anxious. But that that one scene, I was just like, yo, what is this? This is art. Like, the film was already, I mean, that, that just heightened it. But yeah, that's all I wanted to talk about was the cinematography. <laughs> Well, and the, because it, it got me on the first opening scene with Bill mm. walking. There's a shot mm. of uh, the camera following Bill, but the colors while he's following, and then it kind of pans to the street. Beautiful. I said, oh, this is, this is nice. You know, like, this is beautiful. One more thing. I like that this film was uh, extreme close-ups. Mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were tilted up when like Fred was in front of crowds. Mm. So you really got to a lot of his emotion mm. from right here. Like yeah. right and, and that happened most often when it was Fred, Fred, right? But then also at the end when Dominique is standing there with the gun to her belly and they push in on her after they shot him. I was like, yo, they, they are really meticulous about these decisions on when and how they use these close-ups. So yeah, that the cinematography is like phenomenal. But anywho, so the takeaways from this film, what life life takeaways for you? Watch your people. Mm. Listen. <laughs> Keep your cards close to your chest, and as my grandmother say, treat people with a long handle spoon. Mm. Do you think Fred was there ever? Was there ever a red flag that Bill was a culprit? Besides the the uh, the uh, the shout out when they met with the crowns, do you think Bill ever dropped his act? I think they did a good job portraying the moments where he almost got got. I would have thought at the moment when Bill even suggested that they blow something up hmm. 
that Fred would have been like, mm, that's odd. He would have known that that's not a part of the philosophy. He's a lieutenant and head of security. Where, where did that ideology come from? Right. Because they were feeding kids and schooling kids and trying to fight police, police brutality by bringing other organizations into what their, what their mission was. And so for somebody out of left field to be like, hey, let's go blow up City Hall. Right, right, right. Yeah. Now, I will say, I didn't, that didn't tip me because I didn't know what was to happen afterwards when he actually pulls the wire. I said, oh, he was wired. When he said it, I actually thought that he just wanted this all to be over with. And mm. he knew if we blow this up, mm-hmm. A, they're going to kill us, and then mm-hmm. I can be free because mm-hmm. they wouldn't have killed him. You know, I thought he was really just like, I'm just trying to blow up the whole situation. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, let's just go down with a bang. But anywho, I love your, li- your life takeaway. Watch the company that you keep. Um, And let's trickle on into the rest of this episode. So just a few brief segments. Films that you are looking forward to in 2021. Let the people know. Dude, I'm going to be honest. It's basically all the stuff that I was looking forward to in 2020 that they pushed back. So... (laughs) Um, so since Warner Brothers, you know, made that deal with HBO Max, a lot of the stuff I'm going to see, like Space Jam, I was going to watch this if, if they didn't send it to me. Um, for me, I'm a Marvel head. Like, my bathroom is nothing but Marvel, Black Panther, Storm. So I'm, I'm looking forward to Black Widow and Eternals and Shang-Chi and Spider-Man. Like, I'm, I'm interested in that. But then there's a movie, I, had, I remember it com- coming out, the casting coming out on Deadline a couple years ago, but it's at Sundance, Sundance now. It's Passing with Ruth Nega and Tessa Thompson. Oh, yes. It com- yeah, yeah, yeah. It comes on tonight at Sundance. Okay. Yeah. So I'm interested in seeing that. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, a lot of stuff, like, it, it, they're not Black-focused specifically, but they got Black folks in it. Like, Jeffrey Wright's going to be in The French Dispatch, which is a Wes Anderson film that's supposed to be coming out this summer. Okay. It was supposed to come out last year. Um, but honestly, there have been a lot of, like, movies, popcorn movies that I haven't really gotten, because a lot of the studios are, like, trying to find ways to get their 2020 productions out um, and recoup, yeah. right? Um so yeah, it, to me, it's probably a whole bunch of 2020 films that couldn't be released then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm still, I definitely, you know, Coming to America's on my list. I still haven't seen the Billie Holiday film. Oh, yeah! I have to see this film, because I heard amazing things about it, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited about that. I'm excited about Coming to America. I still haven't seen The Little Things. Denzel just came out on HBO Max. Right, right. And then um um Aretha Franklin, J Hud. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah I forgot they pushed that. They kept pushing that back. And so I guess it comes out I, look, I don't even know at this point, but like, yeah, that that too. Yeah. Some really good um films coming out on the lookout for 2021. And I will say, because you mentioned it earlier, one night in Miami. Let me tell you. Cause that film right there, that no, that one right there, Pistachio. I wanted to like call, like see if I could find Kemp Powers like email and be like, bless you. Go. Bless you. Bless you. Let me teach me your ways. Teach me your ways. 
<laughs> oh, sensei. Oh, wise one. You <laughs> to be a protege. I will give my, like, for Kent fans. Powers. Shut, for people who don't know, Kent Powers wrote Soul. Mm -hmm. Just in 2020, we got Soul and One Night in Miami from Kent Powers. The man is going to be busy and booked. That's, That's a bad man right there. Okay. But it's one night in Miami, I, by 2020, I know it came out this year, but I watched it in 2020. By far, hands down, the best film I had seen all 2020. It hit me, I, it, in my review, I said, it hit me in the one ab that my Peloton helped me get over quarantine. It hit me because I thought I was eavesdropping on conversations between historical <laughs> figures that I didn't. And I, and even like the cast is great. And I was shocked at like Leslie Odom Jr. I really need to get that man more credit. Leslie Odom Jr. is by far the breakout face. I mean, I, girl, I can't give, I can, all we gonna do is give a bunch of praise because honestly the film is the, like you said, I felt like a fly on the wall and probably one of the most historical, converse, important conversations to have all four of them. That's like having, uh, uh, oh, never it's like a, a Mount Rushmore of like yes. of black faces of black men having important conversations. Girl, it was good. It was yeah, it was great. Let's give Miss Cicely Tyson her flowers first and foremost. Let's can we have a moment of silence seriously for Miss Cicely Tyson? Miss Cicely Tyson, that hit us hard, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I, shed a few, I shed a couple of t a thug tears the other day, so. That hit us hard. And, and to see a woman, you know, 96 years old, has seen so much in the industry that we love, the ebbs and the, she's seen the ebbs and the flows. She's seen the black exploitation. She's, she's been there. She's lived it. She's done it. And a life well spent, I would say, just from the outside looking in. And to see so much joy that she's had in the last few years. Like, someone who has clearly reinvented her career every decade. Or reinvented herself every decade. And stayed true to herself. Stayed so true to herself. And um, so true to her Black self. You know what I mean? Like... I just, and the most compromising black woman who said, my art is going to reflect the power in what I know black women are and not what y'all try to make us be. Yes, yes. She knew that early on. She knew that early on and she knew that when it wasn't even cool to know that. Right. So just, um, I mean, I, I would have given anything to sit under the wisdom of, or the tutelage, you know, just to be in her presence. I haven't been able to, but I mean, I don't know what to say about Miss Cicely Tyson. We lost a giant, we lost an icon, you know, the re regal presence and yeah. our thoughts and prayers are with her family and, and loved yeah. ones. Okay. Well, Pistachio, where can the people find you? So you can find me on Instagram. It's Pistachios Film Reviews. Um, my website is pistachiofilmreviews.com. I'm also on Twitter. It's Pistache, P-I-S-T-A-C-H, Reviews. Um, and yeah. 
that's worth it. Check Thank me out. you for coming on the She Critiques podcast. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of She Critiques. I'm your host, Mercedes. You can find me on all platforms at She Critiques. That's C-H-I-C-C-R-I-T-I-Q-U-E-S. And we look forward to the engagement and all the feedback. Take care.